Do you often find yourself overwhelmed to the point of panic? Are you constantly overcome by a sense of dread? Are you struggling with feelings of hopelessness as you wonder if life is even worth living? Have you been questioning the convictions of faith that once gave you great comfort? If so, then you're probably dealing with the unpleasant emotion that's commonly called distress. Just to be clear, distress is oftentimes categorized as extreme anxiety or mental sorrow or even physical pain. And it's sad to say that more and more people here in America have been suffering from these fearful anxieties, which oftentimes result in moderate to severe psychological distress. And based on the most recent data that I've seen, you know, I have no doubt that there may be even many here in our service this morning who are struggling with distress. If that sounds like you, I'm happy to tell you that Listen, there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus will establish his millennial kingdom here on the earth. The Lord Jesus has promised to establish his millennial kingdom, and it's at that point in time when our Savior is going to provide us with a perfect home which is free from everything that could cause distress. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. I can't wait until we're living in this perfect place with our perfect Savior in a place that's free from everything that would cause distress. And while we can rejoice in knowing that the Lord is eventually going to save us from every distressful thing, but it's also crucial for every Christian to realize this morning that the Lord has also informed us that there is more distress on the way. The days of distress here on this planet are not over. And there are days of distress that will affect this world as we get closer and closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you might be thinking, well, thanks a lot. Now now I'm even more stressed out. Well, listen, as we consider this fact, it's important for believers to begin to brace themselves so that we can, in fact, stand strong during the distressful days before us. And it's here in our text today where we actually find the Lord Jesus. He's presenting the people with a prophecy about these days of distress, which will begin to impact this planet. And more and more, the closer we get to the second coming of Christ. And as we study the scriptures before us this morning, we'll begin to see, first of all, that these days of distress that are before us, they will bring familial division. Secondly, we'll see how these days of distress will also bring spiritual deception Thirdly and finally, we'll learn how these days of distress will bring judicial distortion. With this as the outline, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Here we find the Lord Jesus. He's describing the days of distress which will come upon this planet. And as you make your way to the 23rd chapter of Luke's gospel account, well, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. I'll remind you, it was in our study last week when we learned about that moment when the Roman soldiers forced a man named Simon to bear the cross of Christ Jesus. And as they led the Lord Jesus and Simon from the praetorium to that hill that we call Calvary, it was the female followers of Christ who began to mourn for our Messiah. But rather than comforting those who mourned, The Lord instead warned them about the days of distress which were about to unfold. And with this as the focus, I'm going to pick up our study of Luke chapter 23. We'll begin reading at verse 27. Here we learn that a great multitude of the people followed him and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves. And for your children, for indeed the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and on the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? 
Here in our text today, we find uh, Luke here. He's recounting the very moment when the female followers of Christ Jesus first saw him emerging from the praetorium. And I have no doubt that they were shocked to see the state of our Savior after having received that Roman scourging. No doubt he was a bloody mess. It's for this reason that they began to weep. Uh, They began to mourn for our Messiah. But rather than receiving their sincere sympathy, our Savior instead presented them with this prophecy which was designed to detail the days of distress which were about to come upon them. As a matter of fact, notice again, there in verse 28, Luke tells us that Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children, for indeed the days are coming. Grasp that for a moment. He's saying the days, this is a prophecy. The days are coming. What, what, what sort of days are we talking about? Well, days in which they will say, blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Without debate, this was a troubling truth, which was prophetically pointing to the dreadful days when the mothers there in Jerusalem would weep for their children. And just as Jesus promised, this prophecy was partially fulfilled during the first Jewish-Roman War, which began back in 66 AD, which then culminated in the siege of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple that happened in 70 AD. And it's sad to say that this was really just the beginning of these distressful days. According to the Jewish historian named Josephus, more than a million Jews were killed during that siege. 97,000 were captured and enslaved, while many others fled to the areas around the Mediterranean. Josephus also informs us that a destructive pestilence was upon them, and soon afterwards, famine destroyed them more suddenly. And as a result, the prophecy of Jesus was partially fulfilled as the mothers there in Jerusalem wept for their children. They wept for their children because their kids were starving to death. And if you're wondering why the Lord would allow these things to happen to his chosen people, well then, I encourage you to remember the curse that they placed upon their own kids. I'll remind you, it was during the trial of the Lord Jesus when Pontius Pilate attempted to release our Redeemer. But rather than allowing the Lord to be released, that's when the religious leaders of Israel continued to call for the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. And in response, Pilate washed his hands of the trial before the entire multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. And that's when the people of Israel began to cry out that his blood be on us and on our children. That's what they said. His blood be on us and on our children. The people of God were willing to curse their own kids in order to ensure the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. Then within 30 years of declaring this curse on their own kids, these days of distress were already upon them. And listen, this was only a partial fulfillment of the prophetic promise that Jesus presented there in verse 29 when he declared, indeed the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. In other words, the Lord Jesus here is informing us about these days of distress when uh, the women who have no children uh, will see themselves as being more blessed than those who have kids. And listen, this is very unusual, and in order to uh, grasp the gravity of this statement, it'll help you to understand that the Jews celebrated motherhood while simultaneously stigmatizing those who were barren. The barren women of Israel uh, were were not only considered outcasts, but they were also thought to be cursed of God. They, They thought that the barren womb was a curse from God, some sort of punishment for secret sin or something. And based in in this historic context, we should take some time to consider how these days of distress would then lead people to believe that barrenness was actually a blessing. What would cause people to just shift their focus in this sort of way to go from having kids is a blessing to barrenness is a blessing? 
Well, to answer this question, let's consider the way that Christ Jesus describes these days of distress. It's actually back in Luke chapter 12 that I want to draw your attention. So hold your place here in this chapter. Let's let's back up to the 12th chapter of Luke's gospel account. You see, it's here in Luke chapter 12 where we find the Lord. He's describing the constant conflicts which will eventually occur as debates about the faith begin to divide families. Let's consider how Christ Jesus puts it here in Luke chapter 12. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 51. Here Jesus asks, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Think about that for a moment. Jesus is describing this, these days of distress as a time of familial division. And, and in other words, family relationships will continue to be strained as the conflicts between believers and unbelievers continue to increase. Jesus elaborates on this in Matthew chapter 10 where we find the Lord. He, he, he tells us further about this familial division as he describes these days when children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. That's what Jesus said. That there's days of distress that are coming when children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And it's at that point in time when people will begin to imagine that barrenness would have been better than the blessing of giving birth to children. I think Paul sums it up best in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where he declares, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. From this we can see that the last days will be these dangerous and distressful time, times when, when, you know, when people will just be narcissists, self-righteous narcissists, who have no problem disobeying their parents in the pursuit of personal pleasure. And as we consider Paul's prophetic description of these perilous times, well, it seems to me that we're beginning to see the fulfillment of these prophecies as children continue to rise up against their parents. To prove my point, I would take you back to 2008 when a prosecuting attorney named uh, Lucy Fortin, she helped a 12-year-old girl to sue her father. Why, you might ask? Well, the reason why is because he grounded her for three days. Yeah. 12-year-old girl sued her father because he grounded her for three days. The reason for the punishment? Well, it's because he discovered that she was posting inappropriate pictures of herself online. So a 12-year-old girl posting inappropriate pictures of herself online gets grounded by her father for three days, and her thought is, I'm suing my dad. She contacted a legal aid lawyer who had been working with her own parents over the custody battle from their divorce, and in this case, you know, the the lawyer could have said, no, little girl, go, go be grounded for three days and be quiet. Nope. Lawyer took the case. And then the court ruled in favor of the 12-year-old girl. That's right. The courts were used to stop a father from grounding his daughter for three days because she was posting inappropriate pictures of herself online. That's the world that we live in now. In 2017, a man from Michigan named David Working, he decided to take his own parents to court. And the reason why? Well, they decided to destroy the adult video collection that he left in their home. That's right, this 43-year-old man was going through a divorce, and so he moved back in with mom and dad, and he brought all of his stuff with him, which included 12 boxes of adult videos. And then after he moved out, left a bunch of his stuff in their house, they decided to throw some of that stuff away, including 12 boxes of adult videos. When he went to retrieve the rest of his stuff, 
Well, he decided to sue his parents for the boxes of pornos that they threw away. And it's sad to say that his parents lost the court case. The courts forced him to pay, to, uh, the parents forced the, the parents to pay more than $40,000 for the videos and for the attorney fees. Because that's the sort of world we live in now. In 2019, a 27-year-old Indian man named Raphael Samuel decided to sue his mother. And the reason why is because she decided to give birth to him without his consent. Yep. Samuel identifies as an antinatalist and believes the Buddhist principle that birth is the source of all suffering. And so his mom is at fault for all of his suffering. And so he took her to court. Can you imagine being sued by your child simply because you didn't abort them? This is the sort of world we live in. What's even worse is that there's a Canadian man named Robert Hoogland who who was incarcerated back in 2019. And the reason why is because he spoke out against the court-ordered testosterone injections that the British Columbia Ministry of Children and Family Development deemed necessary for his teenage daughter's transition. Yeah, the, the government decided that this man's daughter should be a boy and so they, they court-ordered these testosterone injections. And then they told Hoogland that if he says anything to the contrary, that, that they're going to come after him. Yeah, he, he, they're transitioning his daughter without his consent. And when he finally spoke out against it, he was accused of family violence and was arrested for contempt of court. That's right, we live in a day and an age when a child can receive gender reassignment surgeries and treatments without any parental consent. And if you don't think that this would ever happen here in America, I'm here to tell you, you need to wake up because it's already happening here in America. It was back in 2015 when legislatures in the state of Oregon passed a law that allows minors 15 years years old and up to obtain puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and sex change surgeries without any parental consent. California passed a similar bill for children in foster care back in 2018. And then in September of 2020, Newsom also approved a fund that earmarks taxpayer money for gender-affirming health care, because that's what they call it. And this earmarked money includes cash for puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for youth. And regardless of parental consent, that's right, a child in California can go to their school, go to the health center, and start getting approvals for these sorts of, uh, of uh, treatments without any approval from the parents. And you better believe that there's going to be kids that are going to start suing their parents who try to get in the way of all of this. Without debate, we appear to be living in these days of distress, the the days that Jesus was referring to when he declared, blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Now, this is not to suggest that having kids is a curse. I would never even imagine saying such a thing. And yet Jesus is telling us about these days of distress when people will think it's better to not have kids. Why? Why? Because these are the days when children will rise up against their parents and even try to put some of them to death. How far are we from those days? As we consider the current agenda of all the groomers who are entrenched in every arena of our society from government to entertainment, I encourage every parent here this morning to realize that it's going to get harder. it's going to get harder and harder to protect our kids from those who are determined to deceive our children with doctrines of demons. And it's for this reason I encourage every parent to realize that that we need to train up our children with the truth of God's word so that they are able to recognize the deception. I like the way that Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 6. There he speaks to children and says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. 
And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Parents, please trust me when I tell you that your children will not naturally obey you. Why? Because we're all a bunch of sinners. You have to train up your children to obey. And you better believe that the devil and his demons are doing everything they can to destroy your family. And whether we're talking about groomers in the government or whether we're talking about the pedophiles in the entertainment industry and the shows that they're producing and these sorts of things, you better believe that the devil is doing everything he can to get into your home, to brainwash your kids, to raise them up against you and to destroy the traditional family that God has designed. Therefore, we must bring up our kids with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the word of God. And in this way, we're able to safeguard our families against the spiritual deception which is coming upon this world as we get further and further into these days of distress. Now, this brings us to our second point because, listen, the days of distress will not only bring familial division as the devil and his demons try to destroy our families, but, listen, the days of distress will also bring spiritual deception. And with this as the focus, let's turn our attention back to the prophetic warning that Jesus is presenting here in Luke chapter 23. I want to back up. I want to take another look at verse 29 here the lord jesus declares for indeed the days are coming in which they will say blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed then they will begin to say to the mountains fall on us and to the hills cover us I want to stop right here. I want to consider this distressing prophecy. And I just want to take a moment to to encourage you to imagine being so scared that you actually beg mountains to just collapse on top of you. What kind of dread, what kind of distress would have to fill your hearts to just look at the roof above us and just say, I just wish this would just collapse on us because I'm so just filled with distress. That's what Jesus says is coming upon this planet. This sort of distress where you would just want a mountain to fall on you. And it's sad to say that this prophecy was partially fulfilled shortly after the destruction of Jerusalem, that which occurred in 70 AD. As a matter of fact, it was within three more years in 73 AD. This was in the final days of the first Jewish-Roman war when the remnant of the Jews made their way to the mountaintop fortress of Masada. If you've ever visited Israel, then you've probably been up to the top of Masada and looked down and you can see still the outlines of where the Romans were all camped out below. And it's just an incredible scene, but the Jews believe that this mountaintop fortress would be impregnable. They thought that they could go up to the top of this place and and sit up on this plateau and have this this place where they would be safe from the Romans, but the Romans began to build a massive earth ramp on the western side of the fortress, and the Jews up on top saw what was coming. They knew how it was going to end. And by the time the Romans finally reached the top of Masada, they quickly discovered that all of the Jews there had already committed mass suicide. They had effectively, they effectively said, mountains fall on top of us. They were filled with so much distress that they simply killed themselves. From this, we can see how the prophecy that Jesus presented here in our text today was partially fulfilled there at the end of the first Jewish-Roman war. And at the same time, we must not fail to realize that there's still a future fulfillment of this prophecy. To prove my point, I want to consider the prophetic vision that the Apostle John presents in the book of Revelation. So hold your place here in the book of Luke, and let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. As you make your way to the sixth chapter of Revelation, I just want to take a moment to remind you that the book of Revelation is largely focused on the things that will take place after the rapture of the church. The, the, the book begins with a focus on the church age, and, and then uh, it shifts from the church age. We, we, we uh, find the rapture happening, uh, followed by the time of tribulation. And it's here in Revelation 6 where we find uh, John describing this moment when the sixth seal is opened and the wrath of God begins to be poured out upon the planet. And with this as the context, look with me here at Revelation chapter 6. We'll begin reading at verse 12. 
Here John writes, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Now here in these verses we find John, he's describing these days of distress which will eventually occur during the time of, tribu- uh, of the tribulation. And according to John, you know, these days are coming when the inhabitants of the earth will attempt to escape the wrath of the Lamb as they cry out to the mountains and to the rocks to fall on them so that they might be hidden from the face of our righteous Redeemer. In other words, this is the point in time when the prophecy that Jesus presented in Luke chapter 23 will finally be fulfilled. And it's sad to say that these people, those who will be here when that sixth seal is opened, those are the same people who were here at the time of the rapture. They they could have been spared from the wrath of the lamb by being caught up in the rapture, but they missed it. The people who will eventually cry out for the mountains to collapse on them are the same people who could have been carried away uh, with the rapture of the church had they simply embraced our savior by faith. And in order to further explain my point, let's consider the way that Paul explains it in his second letter to the church in Thessalonica. So continue holding your place there in the gospel of Luke. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. See, it's here in the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians where we find Paul. He's actually describing the way that People who were here before the rapture will then enter into the time of tribulation. And at that point in time, the Lord is going to send strong delusion on those who knew beforehand that they should have embraced the truth. And with this as our focus, let's look here at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to begin reading there at verse 9. There Paul declares the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Here in these verses, we find Paul describing the day when the lawless one is going to rise up according to the working of Satan. And this, of course, is a reference to the rise of the Antichrist who will be empowered by Satan to come and perform deceptive signs and lying wonders. And you better believe that the people here on the planet will be amazed by the miracles of this false Messiah. The Jews will even believe that this is their Christ. And the people will be deceived with all unrighteous deception. And according to Paul, it's at this point in time when the Lord will send strong delusion upon those who would not receive the love of the truth by which they might be saved. In other words, those who hear and reject the gospel of grace just before the rapture of the church happens... Well, they're going to end up entering into the time of tribulation being blinded by the unrighteous deception of the Antichrist, uh, which is going to happen according to the permissive will of God. Or we might think about it like this. The Lord's going to respect their decision. The Lord's going to respect their decision. What's their decision? To reject the truth and embrace spiritual deception. The Lord's going to respect that decision as they enter into the time of tribulation. 
He's going to respect the decision of those who chose to embrace spiritual deception, which leads them to suppress the truth in their own unrighteousness. And listen, there's coming a point in time when those who reject Jesus just before the rapture of the church will then soon find themselves uh, living during this time when the, the, the sealed judgments of God are being opened up. And by the time of the sixth seal being opened, they're going to then cry out uh, from, uh, you know, from their caves. They're going to cry out from their hiding points and they're going to cry out for the mountains to fall on top of them because of the distress that they find themselves in as the wrath of the lamb is being poured out upon this planet. And as we consider the way in which the Antichrist will eventually lead people astray with his unrighteous deception, we must not fail to realize that this unrighteous deception is already leading people astray today. The devil and his demons are leading people today towards this very end. And one way that they do this is by raising up false apostles and deceitful workers who transform themselves into ministers of Jesus Christ. And the church today is filled with these false teachers. And we shouldn't be surprised because Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light as he sets out to to lead people into the time of tribulation with all of his spiritual deceptions. And it's sad to say that many are going after this. And it's for this reason that I call every Christian to stand against the spiritual deceptions of Satan here in our time period, knowing that the days of distress are coming. With this as the goal, I want to consider the instructions that Paul presented to the church in Ephesus. And so if you would continue holding your place there in the Gospel of Luke, and let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And as you make your way to the fifth chapter of Ephesians, I just want to take a moment to point out that the enemy is doing everything he can to silence the voices of those who trust in our Savior. You see, Satan knows that the Christian who is too afraid to share their faith, that Christian is entirely ineffective. They're entirely ineffective. The Christian who will not go out and share their faith, well, they're not leading anybody to Jesus, and so they're, they're of no concern to Satan. It's for this reason that Satan does whatever it takes to scare us into silence so that we might keep our faith to ourselves. And the enemy has done a really good job at this, of, of convincing Christians that, well, you just keep your faith to yourself. And many Christians are just fine with that because it's just easier. But then there's people like me, you know, bold believers who just refuse to be silenced. Tell me to stop sharing my faith. It's just going to make me want to go share my faith even more because that's just the kind of rebel I am. And there's many believers who are, who are bold and you can't scare them into being silent. And so the enemy, what does he do? He shifts tactics. Those who will be scared into silence, he scares them. Those who won't be scared into silence, he distracts them. That's right, the minute a Christian starts becoming a bold believer, you better believe that the demons are right there ready to distract us. And there's all kinds of different ways that we can get distracted. It might be a political distraction, which, you know, some Christians, whether you're right or left, you know, the, the right Christians who are bold become QAnon guys, and then the, those on the, on the left go off into BLM world, and, and they just get distracted by all these political arguments. Or it might be, you know, the distraction of non-essential issues. You know, the, the enemy loves to get Christians fighting amongst themselves. Well, what's the right version of the Bible? Was well, the King James Version is the only right version? You know, and then, and then people start debating about what's the right version of the Bible or, or what's the shape of the earth? Well, I think it's round. Well, I think it's flat. Well, let's, let's fight about that. Let's waste all of our time fighting about all these non-essential things while people are dying and going to hell. I've seen many believers, they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Next thing you know, they're a single Christian, and all of a sudden there's just this beautiful person who's giving them all this attention. And next thing you know, they're, they're off in la-la land dating this person. It might be a work-related distraction. You know, a Christian starts getting bold in their belief. Next thing you know, they're, they're promoted at work, and the boss says, hey, you know, calm down on all the Christian stuff, and you'll go far. Oh, okay, there's money involved? Sure. Distractions. 
The enemy knows how to distract bold believers so that we get caught up into these secondary and tertiary issues rather than focusing on the great commission, which is what the the Lord has called us to do. And the enemy uses these distractions in, in order to keep us from reaching those who are caught up in his spiritual deceptions. And the reason why is because he wants to lead them into the tribulation. With all that being the case, I encourage you to remember that we need to keep the main things the main things so that we can walk in the light of the Lord and be light in this dark world. And let's consider how Paul puts it here in Ephesians chapter 5. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 6. Here Paul declares, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We're talking about the days when the wrath of God is being poured out. And Paul is saying, don't be deceived with empty words. Don't be deceived with the enemy's distractions. And in verse seven, he says, do not be partakers with them for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep and arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk, how? Circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The days of walking in foolishness should be done because we are entering into distressful days and the devil and his demons are doing everything they can to lead people straight into the time of tribulation and it's time for us to rise up and be the light in this dark world. And as we walk in the light of the Lord, Paul tells us that we ought to be exposing the unfruitful works of darkness. Do you see the unfruitful works of darkness happening all around you? And if so, are you silent about it? Or do you expose it? We need to expose these unfruitful works of darkness. And one of the best ways uh, to do this is by proclaiming the gospel of grace to those who are still rejecting our Redeemer. Let's warn them about the days of distress that will bring strong delusion during the time of tribulation to the point where they'll finally cry out for the mountains to fall on top of them. Let's lead them to Jesus before that day comes so that they might be saved. Now this brings us to our third and final point because listen, the days of distress will not only bring familial division and spiritual deception, but the days of distress will also bring judicial distortions. And to explain what I mean, let's make our way back to Luke chapter 23. If you would look again, let's begin reading once again at verse 29. Here the Lord Jesus again declares, for indeed the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? Say what? What What in the world are we talking? What does Lee Greenwood have to do with, uh, with, with this prophecy? Here in the final portion of this prophetic warning, the Lord Jesus presents the people with this peculiar passage about green wood and dry wood. And in order to grasp the meaning of this message, we should take some time to first consider the context. I'll remind you that the Lord Jesus is on his way to Calvary, where he was going to be crucified on a Roman cross. And it's important to remember uh, that Pilate and King Herod had both determined that Jesus had done nothing deserving of death. Pilate even tried to release him. But rather than allowing true justice to prevail, the religious rulers of Israel stirred up the crowd to to the point of a riot so that Pilate might feel the pressure to carry out this act of injustice. And with that context in mind, notice again in verse 31, if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? These things, what are these things? 
Well, he's probably pointing to the entire process by which he was arrested and beaten before the high priest and then handed over to Pilate, who then was pressured into uh, this unjust ruling, resulting in in the uh, unjust scourging of our Savior uh, as he made his way to the cross. Simply put, if the rulers of this world are willing to carry out this sort of injustice when the wood is green, how much worse will it be when the wood is dry? Just to be clear, it'll help you to know that green wood doesn't burn very well. It's almost impossible because it's so wet. There's so much moisture and sap that it's hard to get it uh, to set on fire. While dry wood is is exactly opposite. Dry wood easily catches on fire and provides quick fuel for the flame. And as we consider the point that the Lord Jesus was making, we can see here that the, the green wood was being used parabolically in reference to the days of his earthly ministry. Because he's talking about his day. His day is the greenwood day. Well, then, what's the drywood day? Well, the drywood would then parabolically point to the distressful days that culminate in the second coming of Christ. With all this in mind, it seems to me that the Lord Jesus here is saying that if, if the judicial system of this world is willing to engage in horrific acts of injustice during the time when Jesus is here, How much worse do you think it's going to be in the days of distress just before the second coming of Christ? Or or more simply put, if you think that judicial injustice was an issue back in the first century, wait till the 21st century because it's just going to get worse. Just wait till the 21st century when judicial distortions will allow for the death of 60 million plus unborn babies. Yeah. More than 60 million unborn babies were terminated with approval from our judicial system. Let's not forget about the increasing crime rates caused by the liberal judges who refuse to prosecute criminals. And according to one uh, expert report, the homicide rate has doubled in a little over 10 years. Within 10 years, the homicide rate here in America has doubled. And within the same period of time, the overall violent crime rate here in America has tripled. And while this rise in crime is a multifaceted problem, I can assure you that a huge part of this issue is the failed policies of progressive judges who actually believe that the incarceration of criminals is, and I quote a judge, dehumanizing, vindictive, primitive, and irrational. That's one of our liberal judges who thinks that it is dehumanizing, vindictive, primitive and irrational to incarcerate criminals. And so why are violent criminals no longer afraid of our judicial system? Hmm. I have no idea. These are the same people that call for the defunding of the police. And as a result, criminals... Be criminals. For example, it was back in April when Delvin Clemens was arrested and charged with the murder of Kishan Betts. And just to be clear, this wasn't the first time that Delvin Clemens has been arrested on felony charges. As a matter of fact, Clemens had previously been charged with nine misdemeanors and 17 felony convictions, many of which included felony possession of a firearm. And yet Clemens continued to receive low bonds that enabled him to simply walk free. That is until last April when he finally murdered somebody. So misdemeanor one through nine. Okay. Felony one, felony two, felony three, felony four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. At what point in time do you say, this guy's bad at being free? At what point in time does a judge just say, okay, you're done. You're, you're done living in the free world. Here's your cell for the rest of your life. You have to wait till he actually murders somebody before giving him, what, ten years? That's the world we live in. Raymond Young is a registered sex offender with at least 12 convictions, which include three gun charges and four assault convictions uh, and, and two felony convictions of indecent exposure with a child. 
It was last May when Young was arrested and charged with the assault of a family member. And after posting $1,000 for bail, he was once again released back into the community. And within two weeks, he shot and killed a 17-year-old named John Smith. Within two weeks of his release, shot and killed someone. And listen, you know, my desire is for all of these people to, to, to be saved. I, you know, I'm an ex-felon. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to, to, to say that these people can't, can't be saved. Of course Jesus wants to save them, but chances are we ought to, you know, help them to get saved while they're sitting in jail. Not roaming around with, with guns and, and, and shooting people. And it's sad to say that these, this is just a scratch on the surface. I mean, there's, there are so many stories I could share. For the rest of the day, I could share stories of you know, career criminals who continue being put back out on the street because we have a revolving door judicial system filled with liberal judges who thinks that it, the worst part of all of this is some of these people might have to spend a day or two in jail. Paul sums it up best in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he says that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I wish that I could stand up here and say, revival's coming and it's going to get better and better. I'd love to put on my Joel Osteen smile and just say, everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's a Friday. It's just, you know, hunky-dory. And yet the scriptures say, no, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Distressful days are coming. And one reason why is because there are so many corrupt judges within the criminal justice system who are unwilling to prosecute criminals with punishments that discourage future crime. Meanwhile, the same administration continues to push for what they call common sense gun laws, which, hint, hint, will not be obeyed by criminals. Because criminals don't obey the laws. So who gets hamstrung with common sense gun laws? Law-abiding citizens. The ones who need the guns to protect their homes from all the criminals that are running free. The, the Department of Justice appears to be creating a two-tier judicial system which is designed to punish conservatives who are taking a stand for Christian values. And, 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 and this not only includes the investigation of any parent who would decide to speak up against a school board where pornography is being allowed into the libraries, but, but, but I guarantee that this will eventually include the criminal prosecution of those who would dare to commit a hate crime by simply speaking out against those who want to groom our children. Yeah, that day I believe is coming. Christians here in America, we need to prepare for the judicial distortions which are already in motion, which will at some point in time impact Christians in a way that we would never have imagined. You might be thinking, well, I came in distressed and now I'm, now I'm really distressed. And if that's where you're at, I want to give you some hope. And I want to consider the way that Paul dealt with his distress as he sat in a Philippian prison after being arrested for preaching the gospel message. It's in Philippians chapter 1 where Paul says to the Christians there in Philippi, he says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul here is presenting the Christians there in Philippi with his perspective about his own imprisonment. And while it's true that Paul had done nothing deserving of chains, he also recognized that his chains were in Christ. And that the Lord was actually using the judicial distortions of the first century as a way for him to enter into the political arena where he could present the gospel of grace to the palace guard. How how do you get the gospel into the palace guard without going into the palace? And how do you get into the palace? Well, Paul got in there by getting arrested. 
So can the chains of men stop courageous Christians from accomplishing the Great Commission? Absolutely not. Therefore, we can rejoice in knowing that the judicial distortions that are taking place here in America, they won't stop courageous Christians from proclaiming the good news about our Savior Jesus, not even if they throw us into the deep, dark dungeon and keep us there for the rest of our lives. What are you going to do? Preach the gospel. And with that, what is there to fear? Why, why would we be anxious why would we allow these things to distress us knowing that we are already victorious in Christ Jesus? And as we begin to wrap up this study, I just want to encourage those who are now struggling with even more distress than you had when you came in, I just want you to realize that those who trust in Jesus Christ, we can have perfect peace even in the darkest day of our greatest distress. We can take our anxieties and place them at the foot of the cross and leave them with Jesus Christ and, and, and walk in his peace, the perfect peace that he gives to those who totally trust in him. And listen, I get it. We're entering into days of distress and, and I could wish that revival would come. But if I understand the scriptures, and I think that I do, we are entering into the days of distress which will result in even more familial divisions as children rise up against their parents. We're entering into the days of more spiritual deception as the devil continues to lead people astray. And we're entering into the days of judicial distortions when the judicial system will act even more corruptly than they acted when they crucified Christ Jesus. And yet we still don't have to live with distress. You see, the spirit of the living God is able to turn our anxieties and our distress into peace and joy. If we would simply walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we can exchange our distress for peace. And the reason why is because the Holy Spirit gives us that spiritual security that comes with the confidence of knowing that our faith in Jesus Christ has already overcome this world. That, that took place there on the cross. Therefore, rather than moving forward into these distressful days with a heart that's filled with fear because of all the things that are happening around us, let's just refocus our faith. Let's refocus our faith on the one who alone can give us the spiritual strength that we need to stand during these days of distress. Can I stand in my strength during these dark days? No. Can you stand in the power of your flesh in these dark days? No. Nope. We don't have what it takes to take a stand against all of these stressful things, but the Lord can strengthen us, and the Lord can make us stand, and the Lord can lead us forward in faith so that we can stand in the power of our Savior even in these days of distress. Let's pray.